0: CHAPTER Fifteen, THE SHAVEN-HEADED MONK Such was the state of affairs in my home when, one morning, I sat in a large room which lay on the shady side of the house, and which was set apart for the transaction of all business matters. For that reason it overlooked the courtyard, an arrangement which enabled me to keep under my own eye everything relating to the administration of my affairs. Before me stood a trusted servant who had, for a number of years, accompanied me on all my journeys, and to whom I was giving exact instructions with regard to the taking of a caravan to a somewhat distant spot. Along with these directions I was, of course, describing to him the best mode of disposing of his wares when he got there, the produce he had to bring back with him, the business connections he was to form, and other similar matters, for it was my intention to give him full charge of the expedition. To be sure, my house was less home-like than ever, and one might suppose that I myself would have been glad to embrace every opportunity of roaming about in distant lands. But I was beginning to become somewhat self-indulgent and dainty, and I shunned very distant journeys. Not only because of the fatigues to be faced on the way, but above all on account of the sparing diet to be put up with when actually on the road. Yet even supposing the journey's end reached, and with the possibility of making up for lost time and having the best of everything, there were numerous disappointments to be reckoned with, and I, at least, was never able to dine abroad as well as I did at home. As a result, I began to send out my caravans under trusty leaders, while I remained behind in Ujjani. Well, as I was saying, I was in the midst of giving my caravan leader very minute and well-considered instructions, when from the courtyard we heard the voices of my two wives, both much louder than usual, and with a flow of language which sounded as though it would never end. Irritated by this tiresome interruption, I finally sprang up, and, after having vainly looked out of the window, stepped into the courtyard. There I saw both of my wives standing at the outer gate, but far from finding them wrangling with one another as I'd expected, I came upon them for the first time of one mind. They discovered and pounced upon a common enemy, and on him they now poured out the vials of their united wrath. This luckless victim was a wandering ascetic, who stood there next to one of the pillars of the gate, quietly letting this stream of abuse flow over him. The actual reason for their attack upon him I've never discovered. I imagine, however, that the mother instinct, which was very highly developed in both of them, scented in this self-denier a traitor to the sacred cause of human propagation and a foe to their sex, and that they had just as instinctively fallen upon him as two mongooses upon a cobra. Out with you, you bald-headed priest, you shameless ruffian! Just look how you stand there with your bent shoulders and your hang-dog look, breathing piety and contemplation, you oily hypocrite! You smooth-faced windbag! It's the kitchen pot that you peer and gaze for, that you sniff and snuffle at, just like any old donkey who, unyoked from his cart, runs to the rubbish heap in the courtyard and peers and gazes and sniffs and snuffles. Out with you, you lazy, brazen-faced thief, you shameless beggar, shaveling monk. The object of these and similar expressions of maternal contempt, a wanderer belonging to some ascetic school and a man of strikingly lofty stature, stood still beside the gatepost in an attitude of easy repose. His robe, of the amber colour of the kanikara flower, and not unlike your own, fell in picturesque folds over his left shoulder to his feet, and gave the impression of covering a powerfully built body. The right arm, which hung limply down, was uncovered, and I could not help admiring the huge coil of muscles which rather seemed to be the well-earned possession of a warrior than the idle inheritance of an ascetic." and even the clay arms-bowl appeared to be as strange and incongruous in his hand as an iron bludgeon in that same hand would have seemed to be in its proper place. His head was bent, his gaze fixed upon the ground, his mouth absolutely without expression, and he stood motionless there as though some masterly artist had hewn the statue of a wandering monk in stone, had painted and clothed it, and I had thereupon caused it to be set up at my gate, as if it were a symbol of my liberality. This tranquillity of his, which I held to be meekness, but which my two wives regarded as contempt, naturally goaded the latter to even greater efforts, and they would probably even have graduated to actual violence had I not come in between, rebuked them for their disrespectfulness, and driven them into the house. Then I went up to the wanderer, bowed respectfully before him, and said, I trust, most venerable one, that you will not take to heart what these two women may have said. I know it has been both uncalled for and unfitting. I am afraid they were overwrought and not entirely in control of their faculties. I trust that you will not, on this account, strike this house with your ascetic anger. I will fill your alms bowl myself with the very best this house has to offer. Honoured sir, how fortunate that the bowl is yet empty. I will fill it so that it cannot contain another morsel, and no neighbour shall, this day, earn merit by feeding you. You have indeed not come to the wrong door, Venerable One, and I believe that the food will be to your taste, for it is a proverbial saying in Eugenie, his table is like the merchant Carmanita's, and I am he. I trust, therefore, Venerable One, that you will not be angry at what has taken place, and will not curse my house. Whereupon he answered, and with no appearance of unfriendliness, How could I be angry at such abuse, O head of this house, seeing as how it is my duty to be grateful, even for far coarser treatment? Once in the past I took myself with robe and alms bowl into a town to receive food from the charitable as is our custom. But in that town, Mara, the evil one, had just then stirred up the Brahmins and the householders against the order of the Buddha. Away with these so-called virtuous, noble-minded ascetics! Abuse them, insult them, drive them away, pursue them! And so it happened. As I passed along the street, a stone flew at my head. Next, a broken dish struck me in the face, and a stick which followed half-crushed my arm. But when, with head all cut and covered with blood, with broken bowl and a torn robe I returned to the master his words were bear it Brahmin bear it for you are experiencing here and now the result of deeds because of which you might have been tortured in hell for many years for many hundreds of years for many thousands of years at the first sound of his voice there quivered through me from head to foot a flash of horror and with every additional word an icy coldness penetrated deeper into the very recesses of my being for it was, brother, the voice of Angulimala, the robber. How could I doubt it? And when my convulsive glance fixed itself upon his face, I recognised it also. Although his beard formerly went up almost to his eyes, and his hair had grown down deep into his forehead, and whereas now he stood completely clean-shaven before me, but only too well did I recognise again the eyes under those bushy, coalescing eyebrows, although instead of darting flashes of rage at me, as in those former days, they now looked kindness itself. "'and the sinewy fingers which encircled the arms bowl, "'they were assuredly the same "'that had once clutched my throat like devilish talons. "'How, indeed, could I grow angry at abuse?' "'my gruesome guest went on. "'Has not the master said, Bikkus, even if robbers and murderers "'were to sever you savagely limb by limb "'with a two-handled saw, "'one who gave rise to a mind of hatred on that account "'would not be carrying out my teachings.' When I, brother, heard those words, with their diabolically concealed, yet to me so evident threat, my legs shook under me, and to such a degree that I had to hold on to the wall in order not to fall down. With the greatest of difficulty, I managed to pull myself together, so far as to indicate to the robber ascetic, more by gesture than by my few stammered words, that he was to have patience until I should procure him the food. Then I hurried, as rapidly as my shaking legs would carry me, straight across the courtyard into the large kitchen where, just at that moment, the midday meal for the whole household was being prepared, and where from every pot and pan there came the sounds of roasting and boiling. Here I chose, with no less haste than care, the best and most savoury morsels. Armed with a golden ladle and followed by a whole troop of servants bearing dishes, I dashed again into the courtyard in order to wait upon, and if possible, conciliate my terrible guest. But Angulimala had disappeared.